The Man in Line with Andy Wint. Master Mike, good afternoon. Welcome to Man in Line on Max Radio. Today, talking about onshore wind, uh, Max Utilities Board have endorsed a recommendation to progress Erie Stain and Scarred to the Environmental Impact Assessment and Design Stage. Based on the initial assessments undertaken by Wardell Armstrong, Max Utilities say this appears to offer the best value for to the electricity consumers of the Isle of Man with the lowest environmental impact compared to other option sites. Well, today on Manx Radio... Lizzie Riley's here. Lizzie is the Energy Transition Lead and Transition Program Manager. Paul Evans and Ian Ramsbottom are from the consultants, Wardell Armstrong. So uh, Lizzie, Paul and Ian, hi, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Okay, Lizzie, let's just get it first of all. You're the, is it right, Energy Transition Lead and Transition Programme Manager? Yes, that's correct. What on earth does that mean? (laughs) Uh, So Manx Utilities have been set several targets by the Isle of Man government with regards to the decarbonisation of electricity on the Isle of Man. Uh, So first target we have is to deliver at least 20 megawatts of onshore renewables by 2026. With another target, which is to deliver 100% decarbonised electricity by 2026. Um, So my responsibility lies with the delivery of projects which are associated with both of those targets, but we're also looking at economic opportunities for the island beyond 2030, and that's as the full net zero uh, transition um, across various different sectors on the island moves forwards. Okay, uh, how far down the line is Manx Utilities? Um, so we've progressed um, with our onshore wind project and um, based on the information we have to date, believe it is deliverable by 2026. We've done a lot of feasibility work on the delivery of a second interconnector, which supports our 2030 target. Um, we're also doing some background work and feasibility studies at the moment with regards to another project, which is to do with having carbon neutral dispatchable generation on the Isle of Man. So dispatchable on demand, you can start it instantly no matter what the weather's doing. Hold on. Industry jargon. What was that? (laughs) Um, So... We recognise that um, resources like wind and solar are not 100% guaranteed on any day and we have a responsibility on the Isle of Man to deliver security of supply. So we have to be able to meet our customers' demand for electricity regardless of what the weather is doing. And to do that and to be realistic about the transition, you have to have an energy source which you can guarantee is available at any time um, irrespective of what the weather is doing. Um, and that, that's what our customers on the Isle of Man come to expect. Okay, the second interconnector. I um, f- very clearly remember sitting in this very studio 20 years ago when the Jules Verne was down below us putting that interconnector in that obviously goes to Bispam. At the time, it was the longest AC interconnector in the world. We, we don't just order these things off the shelf. How long is the lead time and the installation for another interconnector? Will it go along the same path? 
Um, so we would try and avoid the, the same path because obviously using the exact same route that we have today presents a potential security risk. So there is always a danger that a trawler may end up um, getting tangling up with the interconnector yeah. with, an, with an anchor. So strategically placing them uh, slightly further apart um, avoids and limits that risk to a certain extent. Um, but we do have an issue um, in, in terms of potential uh, power flows. So um, you don't really want to have um, two interconnectors that are connecting to two completely uh, pl- different places within the UK um, because otherwise you can start to have problems so with stability. Do we know any idea where the second one will go? Um, I can say it's between the Isle of Man and the northwest of England. <laughs> well, thanks for that. <laughs> that does that narrows it down a tad. Uh, let's go to Ian Ramsbottom from uh, from Wardell Armstrong. Uh, Ian, hi, good afternoon. Afternoon. How, how long have you been with Wardell Armstrong now? Uh, I think it's seventeen years this year. In fact, so quite a while now. Okay, and specifically, what's Wardell Armstrong's um, directive on the Isle of Man? So we've been commissioned to undertake the environmental impact assessment surveys as a first port pass. So that includes undertaking all of the surveys that are required to feed into that. That's everything from ecology, archaeology. Um, but prior to that, we were asked to look at feasibility of the several different sites and indeed the entire island itself for um, a wind farm. So Paul and his team have undertaken the feasibility. We've reported that to Manx Utilities, um, undertaken some public engagement events where we've discussed that. And now it's on to the scoping opinion. So where we are now is we've pulled together all of the issues as we see them that we need to investigate with baseline surveys. We are now sending that to DEFA so that they can engage with consultees so they can make sure they have their comments on that and any technical other aspects that need to be picked up we can include in our baseline surveys okay uh paul hi uh, uh, good afternoon paul hello um the important thing for the isle of man is um, this is our money is it going to work is this going to be profitable for manx utilities for us um yeah i mean in general onshore wind is accepted to be sort of the, the cheapest form of new energy generation bar none that includes gas um nuclear obviously hydro that sort of thing so yeah in general yeah it's fair to say that you know onshore wind is the way to go if you want a cost effective energy source okay uh, presumably Wardell Armstrong have been uh, associated with other wind farms here there and everywhere uh, have you got a, I mean is there a metric for deciding what's going to work um, well, there's there's a whole host of things that need to be looked at to see if a, a wind farm will be successful. So initially, obviously, the feasibility stage, you need to look at sort of the, the high level bit. You know, is there a wind resource? Um, which it's fair to say on Ireland, you definitely have an excellent wind resource. It's, um, yeah, one of the one of the strongest in the UK, uh, you know, on a par with sort of other islands, so Scottish islands, Shetland, Orkney, you know, those sorts of places. Um, once you've established you've got a resource, then you need to look at whether or not you can put the turbines on island without affecting the environment Um, so initially the feasibility would look at things like designated areas you know do you have areas designated for landscape designated for ecology clearly you'd want to avoid those because you know they're important from the off Um, the next biggest thing is quite often noise um, which is you know proximity to dwellings so do you have any gaps where you could put turbines where they're not going to be right on top of houses in terms of noise impacts Um, noise restrictions for wind turbines are incredibly tight they effectively have to be near silent 
um, at dwellings. So, you know, it's very restrictive. So you need to make sure you've got space for that. Um, and once those, you've got those things, you know, roughly in place, then you can start doing the detailed studies, which we're sort of looking at now. OK, um, uh, Lizzie, um, how far away is this? I mean, if, if with a with a fair wind, pardon the pun, when could these things be up and spinning? Uh, so our target delivery for commissioning is September of 2026. Two years this September? Yes, that's correct. And we are talking about the Isle of Man, not known for its, um, its um, how can I put it, keeping to timetables. So September 2026. Yes, that's correct. So we are on target at the moment for that delivery. But one of the uh, challenges that is outside of our control is is the planning application. Um, and uh, we're due to submit that in January of next year. Um, we're assuming a 12 month window for planning before we can do anything. And it's only if we were to get planning approval that we would then proceed. OK, uh, let's go to the lines. And uh, Bonzo, hi, you're live with uh, uh, Lizzie and Paul and Ian from Manx Utilities and Wardell Armstrong. Hi, Bonzo. Uh, hi, Andy. Yes, and uh, hi, Lizzie and Paul and, um, sorry, uh, and, uh, and and other from... Ian, uh, from Ian. Ward- Ian, Ian, sorry, sorry, um, Wardell Armstrong. It's this virus that's been getting me down, I'm afraid, which is why I haven't played <laughs> it for a couple of weeks, because okay. I haven't had a voice to phone in with. Well, you're welcome so- back. Well, yeah, thanks. So, um, whilst, whilst it still holds out, uh, I'll, I'll be quick about it. Um, Four questions, really. Uh, four fact-based questions. Um, I, I'll try not to sound too much like Jeremy Clarkson here on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. But, A, how much will the wind farm cost to construct? B, how much will it cost to run annually? C, how long will it take to pay for itself? And D, how much is it calculated to reduce electricity prices on the Isle of Man by 2030? Would okay. you like to phone a friend? Yeah, no, I think we'll phone Lizzie first of all. Did you get all those, Lizzie? <laughs> yes, just about, I think. Um, so in terms of um, how much the wind farm will cost to construct, um, obviously we are looking at different designs at the moment and we want to get the best value for our customers on the Isle of Man. So the more design options that we have, the better that value is likely to be. Um, we are shortly going to Timwald for funding for our wind farm project. We don't expect it would cost more than £36 million. Pounds, uh, and within that uh, cost, there is a lot of contingency um, in place um, to ensure that anything is, is captured that we don't think about in advance of the project. Um, O&M costs, I'll, I'll probably get Paul to come in on this one as well, but if you look to um, the UK uh, figures from uh, Bayes, which is uh, Business Energy and Industry Strategy, I think. Um, they had published um, figures that are on their website, which cover a range of operational and maintenance costs for typical wind farm projects, ranging for all different scales. Um, so uh, somewhere in the range of between two and three million pounds may, may be typical if you include insurance, um, maintenance, operational costs, staffing cost into that as well. Um, payback at the moment is is a tricky one. Um, we're expecting that the wind farm, assuming um, that the performance is 
delivering what we expect it to deliver. Um, it could generate up to a third of electricity on the Isle of Man each year. Um, so the figures that are published in our annual reports for how much we spent on gas are in the public domain um, and you could look at those figures and offset a third of the, the money we spent on gas. It, it's not quite as clear cut as that because we start to um, impact the efficiency of the existing assets and we can't quite run them in the same way so it's, it's not quite that clear cut um, but based on um, based on existing annual reports and the information within those reports uh, payback could be between two and four years um, and I think electricity prices if we're looking ahead to 2030 it's so uncertain at the moment where gas prices are and where um, imported electricity costs are where we would be sitting in 2030 um, there is a report published on our website already which is by a company called WSP um, and that report suggests that providing we don't have greater than 40 megawatts of renewables on island that there would be a reduction in price um, by 2030 but as I say it's far too uncertain to commit to that at this stage. Okay and you wanted to throw one to Paul which question was it to Paul? Just to come in on the um, O&M costs. What's O&M? Operations and maintenance. Okay Paul? No, that's fine. Yeah, on, on operation and maintenance, obviously that will be partly dependent on exactly which turbine manufacturer ends up being selected, which will be part of a competitive tendering process. Um, so there, there is a bit of variability in the range of O&M costs that we're looking at at the moment, so we're having to use industry averages to calculate that. What's the difference between turbines? Um, well, different turbine manufacturers have different ways they operate their O&M. So some manufacturers will charge you an amount per unit of electricity generated, for instance, which then incentivizes them to make repairs should they um, break down in some way. Um, other manufacturers have more of an insurance back scheme, um, which you then pay for sort of over a long period, but it's equal amounts. Others have a sliding scale. Um, so it's, it's very different. Each manufacturer has a different way in which they operate their operations. And that'll be for makes utilities to decide, presumably. Yeah, so there'll be a, a tender process and then effectively that whatever system works best for Manx utilities in the island will be the one that's selected. Uh, because, I mean, there have been all sorts of rumours around the island, Lizzie, that stuff's been ordered already. Has anything been ordered already? No, I can categorically say we haven't ordered anything with regards to the wind farm at, at this point in time other than the environmental um, impact assessment and survey work that we're doing to date. Um, in order to deliver um, the project by 2026, we may be required to uh, place a deposit down on wind turbines um, at some point within the next year um, and that is to secure a manufacturing slot so that doesn't necessarily mean you've already bought and you've already manufactured the turbines it's it's just ensuring that you've got that capacity booked in place we wouldn't be looking to place the full manufacturing order unless we got planning permission uh, bearing in mind that we uh, we ordered uh, a sea uh, terminal in liverpool that was going to cost 36 million pounds it's now up to 90 million at the moment i mean what are the guarantee that these costs aren't going to run away with themselves um, so we are are fairly um, risk averse at Manx Utilities um, and the projects we have delivered to date have not significantly overrun that since um, uh, certainly in the last 10 years uh, across all of our utility services um, we have as I said built in a lot of contingency factors uh, within to that um, to cover and we've taken the worst case scenario um, of the worst case scenario for all of our costings we've also um, employed a cost consultant alongside who's verified the, the costs and we've got uh, Paul thankfully and Paul's experience and backing of how much these projects um, 
typically cost within other remote islands in, in the British Isles. Um, and if you want to have a look at the most recent CFD auction round for onshore wind for remote islands in the UK, and bearing in mind they've got profit margin applied to it, which we we don't have a profit margin in any of our costs. They are very comparable um, with the the types of costs we're expecting per kilowatt hour. Okay, uh, Jeremy. Sorry, Bonzo. Ah, well, so nowhere near the sixty million. I think it was that uh, Julian was claiming last week or the week before. Um, Lord knows what uh, Eddie seems to think that they will cost. Um, but yes, I mean, when you look at the figures, uh, when it is, well, astonishingly for a Manx project, value for money. OK. All right. Thanks, uh, Bonzo. And I hope you continue okay, your recovery. Okay. Uh, thanks. <laughs> All right, thanks for calling today. Um, just to come back to this, uh, Paul uh, Paul Evans from Wardell Armstrong. You say there are various options whereby maintenance and stuff can be can be factored in. We won't be left to fend for ourselves once these things are up, will we? No, no. Like I said, like I said, it'll be part of um, a contract. You know, that'll be made with the turbine manufacturers up front, and that'll be part of a competitive tendering exercise. Um, Quite often now, turbine manufacturers are offering sort of 15, 20, even 25-year warranties on their equipment right. um, as part of an O&M agreement. So, you know, we would be looking for a very long-term um, agreement, and hopefully that would involve, you know, having engineers very close nearby, you know, should anything happen or go when wrong. When you say nearby, would that mean resident on the Isle of Man? That, or? That, that is the hope, but not not guaranteed at this point, but that is the hope. Okay. Um, uh, so, uh, Lizzie, uh, just to confirm, Erie Stain and Scard, is that the only contender at the moment? Is it Erie Stain and Scard or nowhere else? Uh, certainly for delivery of an onshore wind farm in 2026. Um, it's the only option on the table. Okay. Uh, Julian's with us now. Hi, Julian. You're live with Wardell Armstrong and Manx Utilities. Hi, Andy, and hello to your guests. Hello. Hello, hello. My ears were burning. I, I heard my name mentioned with Bonzo. Right. Um, I've got a few questions. Um, one is to do with the payback time. I'd just like to know where you're getting your capacity factor of 71% or 130 gigawatt hours, considering that the Shetlands that you have been quoting, the Viking Wind Farm, on their website, vikingenergy.co.uk, inside the project tab, it's suggesting 46%. Um, and also, of course, the Shetlands are 460 miles north of the island. Not quite sure how you're getting the same weather. If you were to go the same distance south, you'd be just south of Paris. Um, so I don't see how our weather can be attributable to a, a, a windswept island with almost no trees because of the extreme winds. Um, my second question is, why are members of Wardell Armstrong currently drilling holes into the designated heathland above Erie Spain, northwards, outside of the curtilage of the Erie Spain plantation towards the slot road, especially without letting the leaseholders of the land uh, inform them beforehand? Um, and also, at the moment, why are several different operations happening at the same time on the site? You've got the Sodar wind measurement sounding device, You've got the drilling going on, which is in some ways cross-interference. And I understand there's bird observations going on as well. Um, and isn't this contrary to your wind farm official good practice noise assessment document, ETSU R97, which states that not only must all relevant parties, including local residents, be engaged with the project from the outset, 
uh, but also to avoid interference between operations, for example, drilling, ornithological observation. Okay, who wants to pick that up first? I'm happy to start. Okay, Lizzie? Um, So I think the first question was on the load factor, and and I'll let Paul come in on this as well, but it's not really part of our estimated um, yields at all um, in in the assessment for calculation. So what we do is we look at the wind speeds that are achieved at the site, and we are measuring them. So um, it's it's a fact-based approach, and we compare those to the actual um, performance curves that are from the manufacturers and measured in situ from, from site. So uh, fairly accurate um, calculations on the amount that we're producing. Um, I suppose with regards to the weather on the island, um, we typically have wind from the southwest. And if you look at the Irish Sea and where that wind is channeled from between Ireland and um, uh, Great Britain, you you can see why that site is hit by that wind uh, or that prevailing wind condition um, significantly um, all the time, especially where we move to um, the sort of hurricanes that and and storms that move up um, through the Irish Sea. Um, so yes, uh, weather is comparable, but um, I think the other thing to mention with load factor um, broadly, which as I said, is not really relevant for our calculations, but it is is um, when you look at the average um, factors across the UK, um, you do have older designs to contend with. So the Viking project in Shetland Islands, I think was commissioned in 2003. Um, so we have much more modern designs now that are um, more structurally robust and able to um, operate and perform better in higher winds. Um, but the other aspect that's really significant, especially for UK wind farms, is the amount of cat- Um, So, for example, if we installed a 100 megawatt wind farm at Erie Stain, and to be clear, Manx Utilities has no plans to do that, um, we would not be able to see a high capacity factor. We would have to curtail it at least 60% of the time because our demand is, is just not high enough to accommodate that and that curtailment means while the wind farm could in theory at times deliver 100 megawatts it won't be able to because it will have to be switched off or limited um, so I'll probably hand over to Paul um, just to go over the, the load factor and then probably pass to Ian to cover the environmental impact assessment at the site. Paul? No definitely I mean load factor is not a particularly good measure of performance of a wind turbine generally um, turbines are designed in such a way so that the, um, the load factor is sort of dependent on the wind conditions that they're sited in. So it'd be relatively simple to invent a wind turbine that would have a near 100% load factor simply by putting a very large rotor on a very small generator. Um, so overall, it, it's it's not really the best measure because ultimately it'll come down to the equipment we select and the conditions that we put it in. Um, like Lizzie said, it makes a lot more sense to look at the actual wind conditions which we're up there monitoring um, and then comparing those to manufacturer specifications um, and then taking into account other things such as turbulence, losses due to interactions between the turbines, that sort of thing, and coming up with you know a, a calculated energy yield number. Okay. Ian Ramsbottom. Yeah, so to come on to question two, which is the drilling on the Heathland, we're currently drilling on a pathway um, and that's one potential access to the site um, and as for that we haven't announced this to the local residents what we did have to do was delay this till just recently because we needed a license from the attorney general to do this work so we're confident that ourselves and Manx Utilities have done the correct thing there now tenancy agreements um, will be through I think it is DEFA and the local tenants so hopefully they've been informed but I know that some of our staff spoke with the residents yesterday um, so hopefully that's all okay Julian uh, yeah um, 
as far as the load factor or capacity factor, you're using that as a sales pitch to get to say that a third of the island's electrical usage uh, will be covered by the turbines. Um, but you're saying 71%. Shetland, which is way windier than we are, I mean, it's in the top of the North Sea and the, the North Atlantic. Um, if they're getting 46, and Orsted's own consortium website is saying the average across the UK, including our latitude, is 26, then I don't see how the payback that Bonzo referred to, how can you get your payback when you're kind of boosting your sales pitch by four times more than the reality of what I'm reading. I mean, even if you get to Shetland Islands levels that they've recorded, I know you're talking about older types, but with Orsted are very up to date. If they're saying 26% on their latest 11,500 fleet of turbines, how are you getting to 71%? Anyway, um, yes. Um, so that's one thing for you. The other one is... Um, Am I to understand Colas was trying to gain access to the privately owned path underneath? Does that infer that Colas um, have already been awarded a contract to do all the road building towards the turbines? Okay, uh, Lizzie? Um, so to take your last point, we have absolutely no contract with any uh, construction organisation at that point, but I do believe that Colas actually operates the quarry um, within the plantation itself, so they would have a right of way, but nothing to do with us. Um, and again, just to, to capture the, the comments on load factor, um, the turbines you're talking about with Orsted, just just to um, uh, take that off, as I said, they are limited by what the output that can be delivered because of demand. Um, so particularly with projects that are commissioning at the moment um, with National Grid, um, they are requesting that operators dial back their output. They have... Um, uh, constraint payments that are awarded to limit the output of turbines simply because the network will not at all times be able to carry that amount of power. So there's a massive upgrade project going on in particularly the northwest of England at the moment to help transport that amount of power. So if you're an operator, while in theory you might be able to deliver um, a higher capacity factor, it will be curtailed. So that impacts directly the capacity factor. But to be clear, Manx Utilities figures and our estimates do not take into account the load factor or capacity factor at all. Um, it, it's based on actual output um, versus the, the wind conditions based on performance curves provided by manufacturing. So load factor and capacity factor isn't used at all in any of the calculations. Okay, uh, we've got to leave it there, Julie. We've got lots of people to get to. Thanks, Andy. Cheers. Good to Thanks. hear from you. Thanks for that. Just a couple of quick questions. Um, can anybody uh, answer whether or not there's going to be storage for the electricity that's generated? If so, where's where, where it going to be done, uh, Lizzie? Yeah, so we don't have any plans at the moment to do any storage on the Isle of Man and um, it's a technical reason we don't need to have storage. Typically, when you have storage in the UK for or to support renewable projects, um, it's to dampen to some, expect, um, to some extent the way they behave um, and the way they may impact grid frequency. So we have to operate our network within strict limits um, and storage can help you avoid those limits. Um, the difference on the Isle of Man, though, is we have an HV 
the AC interconnector um, between the island and Great Britain. So we are tied to the UK's grid frequency. We can't change that. So the benefits of storage in terms of moderating frequency don't apply to us, um, which has got a lot of benefits as well, because storage at the moment is still um, really costly um, relative to other generation techniques, and we don't need it to maintain stability on our system. Um, In fact, you would only really need it if you took the interconnector out of service, and we typically have operated on this island since it was installed with it out of service for less than one to two percent of the time so really really good availability on that um, asset okay uh, and a quick uh, whatsapp of 445 john b does the 36 million pounds include ground and overhead works required to connect the wind generator to the existing distribution and transmission network yes that, that's that's all inclusive um and actually includes a portion of the work that ian and paul is doing at the moment so all in cradle to grave costs lizzie Ryan is the Energy Transition Lead and Transition Programme Manager from Manx Utilities, what we used to call the MEA, and Paul Evans and Ian Ramsbottom from the consultants Wardell Armstrong on Man in Line Till One today. We make oil heating easy with our range of services, whether it's our free smart tank monitoring systems or just our efficient all-island deliveries. Ellen Vanning Fuels has it covered. Call us on 844 treble to find out more. It's good to talk. It's how we get things done. So when you apply for a personal loan from Black Horse, you'll get support from one of our relationship managers who's there to talk you through your application. You could borrow up to £50,000 with up to seven years to pay it back and you could receive your money within 24 hours of approval. Ready to talk? Go to blackhorseoffshore.co.uk to request a call back today. Finance subject to status. Applicants must be 18 or over. When you save a little money, it means a lot these days. If you're looking for bathrooms and tiles, you'll always find something new in store at Pacesetter. For surprisingly affordable prices and excellent choice, search online for Pacesetter Douglas. Or better still, visit the Pacesetter bathroom and tile showroom on Harris Terrace and see the new styles in store. You can get the best of Tonight at 6pm here on Manx Radio, join Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark, for Countryside. We hear from the young farmers as the annual young farmers' tickets go on sale. I popped along to the Ramsey and Onken District Fur and Feather Society show and spoke to some of the class winners on the day. And also, I got a chat with Keith Karouche, who was the guest speaker at last week's 90th anniversary dinner of the Northern Young Farmers. That's all in Countryside tonight here on Manx Radio at 6 o'clock. And don't forget, you can download and subscribe to the podcast for free at manxradio.com The Man in Line with Andy Wint Faster Mike, good afternoon We're live today with uh, Wardell Armstrong and Manx Utilities and David, hi, you're live Hi Andy, and to the panel uh, Good luck, because I'm behind you all the way, not you personally but the, the development of it People may say because I live in Onken that it's, you know, I'm always going to say that. But these things need to be done for a community that's on the island. And I think one of the pitfalls, you may not disagree with me, and I know that you have to be careful on political uh, statements there. You need to get this ready for an application and get it. And the council of ministers need to call it in to an inspector and have it laid out. The probably inquiry is going to last ooh, maybe two months, maybe more on that I see that's going to be the biggest um, uh, hole that somebody's going to dig for somebody when we have uh, all the people in the Isle of Man have got a view 
and we have all these experts are going to tell us what to do and at the end of the day the inspector's going to say well what your what's your um professional qualifications mr quirk well i'm only a plumber but you two or three there are experts and we rely on experts whether you like it or not and we should hold you to account okay lizzie are you confident about the planning application um, I, I don't think anyone could be com- uh, confident about a planning application at this stage because we simply haven't finished the environmental impact assessment. Um, but um, in terms of timescales, we are about to submit a pre-application for that that planning shortly. Um, and I'll probably hand over to Ian just shortly. I was just going to uh, capture on the point about the community in that I think uh, David's absolutely right there. This is a project for the whole of the community and while it is in one area of the island, it is benefiting the entire island and Manch yeah. Utilities has a, a, a statutory obligation within the Electricity Act to deliver the best value to customers and the most economic electricity supply um, and irrespective of any climate targets we've been set, we do now have a, a legal duty within our electricity Act to deliver a project which produces the lowest cost to customer and that is onshore wind at the moment. Ian Ramsbottom. Yep, so just to give some information on the EIA, we actually hold the IEMA quality mark and one of the things we must do is ensure that what we provide... Sorry, EIA is... Environmental Impact Assessment. Okay. Sorry. Um, one of the things we must do is ensure that what we provide is robust um, and covers every topic we can possibly consider in detail so that when our environmental impact assessment is handed to the planning department for consideration, that they have all the facts. Um, okay. Uh, simply, though, uh, I mean, down in the southwest, a lot of people hate this idea yes absolutely we've had several stakeholder engagement um, things and we're going to continue those in the summer we want people to have their opinion we want them to come to us with their concerns because if they can be factored in and somehow mitigated in designs we will do that Um, and yes we accept that it's not always the most popular for everybody but like Lizzie said this is a a nationwide project for the good of the island man not just certain individuals David don't forget about the East people. There's a lot of people living in the East and they have positive views. Bye. Okay, thanks for calling today. Um, we're talking about the um, obviously the social aspect of it, noise, landscape, visual ecology, energy. Uh, there's the airport, water, flood, air quality, um, and uh, you know the whole geology of this. You must have a very full in-tray, Ian. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> we have hundreds of people back in our offices working on this. Um, we're drawing on all the expertise we have, including people like Paul. He's He represents the tip of the iceberg what we can do um but yes i have a very full in-tray and i think paul and lizzie share that okay at the minute uh, and the one point that comes up all the time is the killing of birds yes so we're undertaking ornithology surveys wind farms have a potential to do that and it's a r- only right and proper that we assess what birds are at that site and where they migrate across the island and um, we know this is a unesco heritage site um and that, that will be taken into account. But also some of the more modern turbines have features built in where they can be turned off through migratory bird seasons and things like this, where there's a couple of weeks. And part of our ornithology surveys is to pick up when that is happening so that we can ensure minimal impact. Uh, Paul? 
Do you want to add to anything on that? Um, yeah, one thing I can add to that, I mean, we'll be doing detailed collision risk assessments as well. So there are methodologies out there which effectively look at the, the swept area of the turbines, what species are around, and then each species effectively is given a, a risk factor. What's its ability to avoid turbine blades? Um, and then from that, we can take a, make a prediction of what likely bird strikes might be, if any, um, and then look at mitigation options, um, which can involve all sorts of things from moving turbines through to changing the way you operate them. Um, so yeah, there's a, a number of different things you can look I at. I mean, what, what's being proposed now, the uh, the wind farm at Erie, Stain and Scard <clears throat> is the biggest interruption to our natural life since we had mines here in the middle of the 19th century. You know, we 40% of the lead in the UK in the British Isles was mined on the Isle of Man. The mines came and the mines went, and we haven't had anything really on the Isle of Man that has disturbed the equilibrium since this. So lots of people are very concerned about it not going wrong. No, I no, fully appreciate that. And that's why there's so much work going in up front, you know, to make sure that as far as possible, everything that could be an issue is considered. But I mean, I appreciate it is a change and any change is, you know, is difficult. Um, and it's, you know, part of the job is to make that process as easy as possible and to answer as many queries and questions as possible. OK, uh, here's a, one, a quick one from Colin for Lizzie and just saying uh, <clears throat> one question, really. Will the construction of the turbines, uh, will it all be at a fixed price contract or will it be subject to variation, Lizzie? Um, so I think that that's really a question for when we actually get to the tender process. And there's a lot of unknowns at the moment that I, I'm not able to provide an answer. So uh, the construction and the, the team that you appoint is somewhat dependent on which manufacturer that that ends up winning the, the manufacturing contract. Um, and each each EPC contractor will have different requirements and, and, and their own. But we, we would look to mitigate risk as far as possible, and as I say. Whose call is that? Is that uh, MUA or is it Comin, the government, Treasury? Um, Treasury, to some extent, would advise on, on what they um, or how they would like us to, to manage the um, financial risk. Um, and we would need to get Treasury approval before we uh, proceed with anything, before it goes wider and, and goes forward to um, Council of Ministers and Tim Wald as well. OK. Hi, Kiri. You're live talking about the wind turbines. Hi, everyone. Um, my first question um, Lizzie was saying that your um, project is on track. Um, you had a roadmap published on the MUA website, which quotes that in January 24, there will be a design freeze, i.e. that the initial design is complete with turbine locations fi uh, fixed. When will you be releasing that information to the public? Okay, uh, thanks for your question. Yes, uh, that roadmap is still on our website. Um, uh, and I believe there's another one going on as well for the environmental impact assessment as well, just to highlight what process we're going to as well. Um, so we have reached a design freeze, but that isn't necessarily fixed turbine locations because we at the moment have a number of different manufacturing options we're considering and they would each have different turbine placements depending on it. Um, we are shortly um, going to be submitting our scoping report and we understand from the planning department that that will be uh, pushed into the public domain um, imminently so. okay sorry yeah. so right my second question if you don't mind um so i understand you have been issued a drilling license for kringle great park to drill boreholes up to 15 meters deep and this is an area of registered heathland um if we go back to your operational decision making document which is um produced by manx utilities 
Um, there is a statement in there. The consultants advise that Heathland should be avoided at all costs. So I just wondered if you could clarify why you have moved outside the original site constraints onto registered Heathland. Okay, let's go to Ian for that. Ian? Yeah, so the first thing to say is that the what we are looking to target with that drilling operation is the ground conditions of the footpath that is there. So we've taken careful steps so that our drilling contractor and our engineers on site don't run roughshod over Heathland um, is the first thing to say. Um, the reason it's outside of the Eriste implantation is because this is one potential access route into the uh, been farm itself okay lizzie uh, sorry kiri okay so so you are prepared to put an access road on registered heathland again we're trying to target the existing footpath what we need to do is look at all of the options and that is the point of what we're doing right now there are multiple options for access this is just one of them naturally we're not going to just go and dig up all of the uh, potential options now we want to do a targeted uh, drilling regime which sets out which is the best possible route um, we do want to protect as much heathland as possible and i know mua share that view okay just out of interest how wide and how deep are um, typically um, roads that have to service wind farms? Um, it does vary depending on the transport requirements of um, the individual turbine manufacturers and their transport partners. Um, anything up to four to five metres is pretty standard. Um, depth of it can vary very, very dramatically dependent on the turbine itself and the components and the weights, etc. Paul, did you have anything to add on that, Mills? Um No, Candy, yeah. So depths are normally in the region of 10 to 20 centimetres um, so it's a geotextile membrane and then hardcore normally um, but that does assume sort of fairly stable ground conditions um, obviously until you know exactly what's in the ground hence the drilling that's taking place at the moment it's hard to understand you know exactly what will be required but that would be standard okay all right Kerry. anything okay. else Kerry? no i'm sure we'll um, have that covered when we see the scoping document which i presume is due imminently as well okay um just one question also uh, uh, to um uh, to Lizzie, Paul and Ian, uh, who's best to answer this? How on earth are they going to get the blades to Erie Stain? Will they come in pieces or will they be brought up as one, Paul? Um, yeah, so they will, they will come in one piece. How big are they? Um, so they will be, oh, I say this, it partly depends on the, the turbines we're looking at um, ultimately. So we would expect them to be around sort of... 65 metres, that sort of ballpark. The best part um, of 200 feet? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely um, they're big items. Do we know where they're going to come ashore? So there's a couple of options at the moment. Um, one is by the port, just we can see out the window here at Douglas. Um, the other option is potentially a beach landing um, at Castletown Beach. That's still in fairly early stages of assessment, trying to determine what would be the, the best route. However, the port of Douglas is preferred. Okay, we're live with Wardle Armstrong and Manx Utilities talking about onshore wind. If you have anything to answer or anything to ask, by all means, get in touch. Text, email, call and WhatsApp. The Nation Station celebrating 60 years. This is Manx Radio. At HSBC, we're here. And here. So you can go here. Or just chill in your own space here. We're here for all your banking needs. Pop into your local branch or book an appointment online. HSBC, opening up a world of opportunity. 
HSBC Bank PLC Isle of Man branch is regulated by the Isle of Man Financial Services Authority. Visit the HSBC website for terms and eligibility requirements. It's B&B Furniture's winter sale. With fantastic bed and bedroom savings in our newly extended bed apartment, plus free bedding packs and extra gifts available with selected purchases, there's 0% finance too. Ends this weekend. Have you been invited to take part in the Household Income and Expenditure Survey? It's one of the most important surveys for our island because the information you provide is vital data for our island's financial planning. It helps us calculate our VAT revenue from the UK. Plus, it gives us a better understanding of the financial strains on residents so we can support those who are struggling. If you've been invited, please take part. Visit gov.im forward slash H-I-E-S for more information. Caroline North is back this weekend with a selection of your greatest music from the 60s to the 90s. we got some money to give away with our competition to spend in the Caroline web shop and the return of Nigel Harris for this February. Join us live from the Ross Revenge along with Manx Radio here at Caroline North. Radio Caroline North back on 648 and 1368 AM. The Man in Line with Andy Wint. Talking to Lizzie Riley from Manx Utilities, Paul Evans and Ian Ramsbottom here from the consultants, Wardell Armstrong. Uh, Lizzie, uh, one of the things in the middle of all this, and I say in the middle of all this, ordinary people, constituents, voters, taxpayers, don't have the expert knowledge uh, that you and your colleagues have. How on earth do we sort out misinformation, propaganda, people pitching for work? How, how, how does the public cope with this? I think it is, it's really difficult because there is a lot of misinformation out there and there are a lot of people um, certainly that have contacted us that have been worried about things that um, are not necessarily based in, 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 in fact at the moment. Um, uh, typically um, there is going to be, a, there is, and there's already a lot of information on our website and that information has come from um, factual sources. We're not publishing anything that we don't agree with. Thanksutilities.im yeah. by the way that is. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and we do have experts advising us on every stage of this journey. We, we wouldn't be going ahead if we didn't have that expert uh, knowledge feeding into our process. Okay, and wardell-armstrong.com is the uh, consultants who are um, uh, we're talking to today, to uh, Ian and Paul. Eddie, you're live with uh, the Onshore Wind people. Hi, Eddie. How are you doing? All right. Good, Good. thanks. Um First of all, I agree with um, most of the points that's been made by uh, uh, Julian and and most of the others. And uh, we're getting name drops again. Um, But uh, first first of all, I'd like you to know that um, regardless of what you do, the people of this area have done an awful lot of homework and we actually just base things on facts. And we are going to fight this to the very end, uh, using the precedent uh, from France and so on. Uh, it's going to be, if it goes wrong for you, it's going to be an absolutely massive cost. To how, how far would you be? How, you live close to where the wind turbines would be, Eddie, is that right? How far away? Just over 500. Metres? Yeah. Okay, uh, so they will be close by. And what is it that concerns you the most, Eddie? Well, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, um, you've you've had a few comments to, uh, today about birds and things. I've got a little thing here, perhaps. All, uh, can I ask all of your panel there? Do, have they ever heard of Billings? 
Yeah, it's all right. Just go ask us the question, if you would. Well, the question is, have they read that uh, Billings, uh, which is a massive subsidiary of the biggest provider of nuclear, uh, renewable energy, uh, have just been ordered to pay £8 million in fines? Uh, and it's not the first time, neither. They see, they, these companies seem to break the law wherever they go. But that's just one fact, not fiction, it's fact. One fine of £8 million. My, my point I was going to get, my first point is this. Uh, the, the area in which you're going to do all this, we are going to fight. And and if you, have you sort of put into your costs at the worst case scenario, your own words, what it would cost if you had to take the damn things back down again? That's my first question. I've got two, so we'll see what the panel says for that one. Okay, Lizzie? Um, Any contingency for dismantling if they get put up? Uh, we haven't included dis- uh, contingency for dismantling early if they're put up. Reasons for dismantling early would tend to be an error, a manufacturing error, and that's usually covered under warranty period. Um, there isn't precedent in Manx uh, planning rules that I'm aware of that requires anyone to take it down once it's already got planning approval. Um, but I am pleased to hear that, that you know, it is really good to hear from residents in that local area what their concerns are, because whether you agree with the wind farm development or not, this at this point in time is the opportunity to feed into the process. And regardless, as I say, if, if you want the development to go ahead or not, we are still in, we still have the ability at this point to modify the design and can at least mitigate some of um, the impact on local residents as much as possible. Um, so we, we have the opportunity to do that. Okay, Paul Evans, uh, do these things ever get taken down? Um, I, no, I, again, you know, it, it was very unusual for a, a wind farm to be taken down before the end of its life. In fact, quite a lot of the work we do at the moment is um, life extensions and repowers, so wind farms that have got to the end of their working life. Um, so then the developers are going back to planning to either extend their life or to get new turbines installed on the same site. And typically, how long is a, a wind turbine's life? Um, so the early ones were designed around a 25-year life. However, what we're seeing now with more recent designs, which is primarily due to the sort of increased robustness that's come about due to offshore wind turbines being developed they're now looking at around sort of 35 years as a typical design life eddie um well that that slightly avoided what i was trying to say there the the fact is that on health grounds and bird kill they were ordered to take the things down my second go on to the second question you've you've not got a lot of time left has your panel considered the similarity to places like orkney where the turbines that they put up there, the bases, have caused landslips and flooding, and again, an absolute disaster. Are you aware of that, Paul? Um, yeah, no, I'm aware of a, a number of projects, particularly in Scotland on peatland, where there has been um, issues during construction um, with peat slide. Um, and one of the things we are looking at as part of our assessments, and, and in fact, one of the things that's being looked at with the drill that's up there at the moment is, is there peat present and would it likely cause a problem? OK, uh, Eddie, we've got a dash, but I appreciate it. And it's not going to be the last okay, time we'll mate. talk about this. Thanks for calling today. I just want to get on to one question, uh, Lizzie. And this is uh, from WhatsApp at 969. With regards to noise impact, 
impact. What's the minimum distance you can build the turbines from residential properties? Um, so I'll let, again, Paul probably will come on this as, as well, but it, it's not a minimum distance. The, the minimum distance that we've been looking at and quoting to when we were doing the feasibility studies is when you're trying to do a core screening process. So you typically look um, to stop at 500 metres when you're doing that core screening process. But the actual relevant point is we are trying to avoid the background noise level or the, the noise um, level of an adjacent property um, increasing beyond 35 decibel average once the wind farm is installed. Paul? Um, no, that's right. So the it's entirely a factor of the wind speed and the current background noise in an area. So the noise limits are 35 decibels or 5 decibels over the existing background. And that dictates the distance. So I've worked on projects where the background is very low um, and you might see sort of five, 600 metres. I've also worked on projects which are next to motorways and main roads in the UK um, where you've got turbines within sort of 200 metres of okay. a property. Uh, you're looking to get uh, in touch with people throughout the summer, aren't you, Ian? Yeah, very much so. So we want to work with MUA um, and their team to hold stakeholder engagements. We don't have dates set yet, but we're working with them to come up with those. We're going to do a range of them at nights and at weekends so that everybody who's working, as well as those who aren't, can, can come and talk to us about the potential designs, air the queries and questions that they might have like they have on this radio show. We're committed to doing that with MUA. OK, well, with that in mind, I hope uh, there's an open invitation, Lizzie. Will you come back in the near future and talk more about this? Um, I'll have to clear it with Manx Utilities, but I'm certainly happy to. Manx Utilities, I'm sure. Alison, get on to it straight away. <laughs> All right, thanks for being with us today. To Lizzie Riley, the Energy Transition Lead and Transition Programme Manager from Manx Utilities, and Paul Evans and Ian Ramsbottom from Wardell Armstrong. Back tomorrow, open line. W-I-N-T.